I'm going to read out of Luke 14 today. I have my Bible with me. You know that I'm serious when I bring my green Bible. This is the, I've had this Bible longer than any Bible in my life because a dear sister, uh, sort of a mother figure for me many, many years ago, saw that my Bible was falling apart. You know what they say, if your Bible's falling apart, you probably aren't. I fully, totally believe that. Anyway, she saw that it was falling apart, so she took it and got it rebound in this beautiful calf hide that's green, because you can tell I didn't buy this in a store. And so this has become my, I've had this probably 20 years. A lot of the pages are just totally, I've had to glue them, tape them, um, pray for them, (laughs) but I still have it. And so I brought my most anointed Bible with me. Amen. But I'm going to read real quickly. As a matter of fact, it's a little bit of a lengthy reading. You can be seated. Let me read it. And then we're going to stand to pray. Because I want to talk to you today about the invitation going out in these last days. Why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? You know, it's amazing uh, how many people who are in church and have been around church a long time and heard, you know, been in choirs and been involved in Sunday schools and whatnot, how, how confused people are about some things regarding Christianity. It's, it's kind of amazing. So I want to talk to you about why Jesus came. Now, we know why he came, but I want to show you that it was all about a divine invitation, a divine invitation. And I'm calling this still there is room. Still there is room. Now I'm starting at verse 16, Luke 14. They have it up there. I'm reading out of the New King James. Then he said to him, I'm going to tell you who the him is in a minute. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at uh, supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But look what they said. They all with one accord began to make what? Excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excuse. Guys, can I have a little more light up here? It's kind of shining down on my, there we go. Because I'm squinting and that's not spiritual. All right. There we go. Um, Verse 19. And another said, Well, I bought five yoke of oxen, bought a brand new car, and I'm going to go test it. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come, because we're already having trouble. No, that's not in there. But anyway, now, so there's three excuses. Now, verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master, so there's my little phrase, still there is room. That jumped at me this week. Still there is room. Can we say it together? Still there is room. Amen. Verse 23, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges 
and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Verse 24 in the last verse, for I say to you that none of these men who are invited shall taste my supper. None of the ones that came up with excuses. Can we stand and let's just pray together? And I want to pray for you. And then we'll be seated uh, one more time unless I preach you to your feet. Who knows? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for the word of the Lord. You gave this parable, Lord, to us so that we would understand what's going on regarding the invitation of heaven to lost men. And Lord, how we can make excuses and miss you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you will anoint this word, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to understand it. And we thank you, Lord, for it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Now, the setting for this parable is Jesus has been invited. This is what leads up to the parable. All right? If you want to read Luke 14 yourself, uh, starting at verse 1. But the setting is Jesus has been invited to a leading Pharisee's house uh, uh, to eat bread on the Sabbath. And he takes note how some of the guests are coveting the best seats, the who's who's at the, at the feast or at the, at the um, dinner or the meal that Jesus has been invited to. All of the who's who's are grabbing the best seats in the house. They're wanting front row seats. They're wanting to be close to Jesus. Not because they loved him, but because they were watching him carefully and they wanted to catch him. So they wanted to be right there where the action was, and the action is where Jesus was. Now, instead of Jesus complimenting them for the meal, Jesus chides them for inviting people who could in turn throw them a party and invite them back. In other words, they could return the favor. Jesus said, when you give a feast, don't invite people who can return the favor. In other words, don't politic, don't play, don't play the social game. But he said, when you invite people, invite the lame, the blind, the crippled, the hurting, the poor, those who cannot repay you. And then he said this, he said, because you will be rewarded at the resurrection. Again, Jesus is putting a premium on how we treat people who are in need. Amen. Every time you reach out to somebody in need, Jesus is watching it. Jesus is aware of it. Heaven knows about it. Now, one man pipes up and he says, after Jesus speaks these words, the sort of a rebuke to them, he says, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And when he said, blessed is he that will eat bread in the kingdom of God, it triggered Jesus bringing this parable. And so Jesus brought the parable. Now, in this parable, the feast represents heaven. The feast is illustrative of heaven, including all the blessings that salvation brings when you and I come to Christ. So the feast is ultimately heaven. The maker of the feast, or the man that threw the feast, represents God. Because it's this man that sent out all the invitations. This man is the one that told his servant to go and invite this group and that group to the feast. So we need to understand that the man represents God. And the invitation that God is giving to every man, woman, and child on earth 
to come to his son. And when you come to his son, you have just walked through the door to a great feast. Amen? Now, let me talk to you about, there's three groups that the man sends the servant to invite. Three groups that are invited. The first group mentioned in the parable that came up with all the excuses is the Jewish people. They represent the Jewish people. Now, remember, Jesus is at a table. In in reality, he's at a table with high priests, with religious leaders, with who's who's, with people with money, people of esteem, people that carried weight in the culture of his day. That's who he's giving this parable to. So the first ones he's talking about is them, the Jewish people. He's dealing first with the Jewish elites. Now, these Jewish people he's addressing are the ones to whom Jesus was first sent. And I want you to understand that today. Jesus was first sent to the Jewish people. For instance, when Jesus sent out the 12 to go minister for the very first time in their life, he anointed them and commissioned them to go minister, cast out devils, heal the sick and whatnot. And it says he ordered them this way, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans, which were even less than Gentiles, but go only to the Jewish people. Now, we say, well, didn't he care about the Gentiles? Yes, he cared about the Gentiles. We know that he did because remember the woman at the well was a Samaritan. She was a Gentile and Jesus sat down with her invested hours in her, and she eventually believed on him and was saved. Jesus reached out to Gentile people a lot. But what he's pointing out when he told the 12, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, he's saying, because I have priorities in my ministry, and my first priority is the Jewish people. Because it was to the Jewish people all the covenants were made. Paul the apostle says it was the Jews that received the word of God. It was the Jews God appeared to on the mountain. It was the Jews that received the prophecy that a Messiah was going to come through them. Abraham was the first Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus said salvation is of the Jew. We have a Bible because it was primarily overwhelmingly written by Jews who were moved on by the Holy Spirit. So it's not that he's ignoring the Gentiles. But he's saying, the Jews are first. My priority is first to speak to them. Now, we know they rejected him, and I'm going to deal with that in just a minute because that's included in the parable. The Apostle Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everybody who believes. First for the Jew. Everybody say first. Now, there's Paul saying, the gospel went first to the Jews. Jesus first turned to the Jews. Then for the Gentile. Now, almost all of us in here are Gentiles. How many of you are glad that God turned from the Jews to the Gentiles and we're getting, we're getting, we're getting what He called them to? Amen? How many of you in here are Gentiles? I think I have one Jewish person in here. If you're Jewish, raise your hand. Yep, one. No, there's two. All right, two. Well, we got your stuff. All right. So again, in Jesus' parable, the first group invited to the feast are Jews. And they come up with three flimsy excuses why they cannot attend the invitation. 
And here's what they say. The first excuse is from a man who says, I bought some land and I've got to go see it. So let me break this down. This man chose earthly possessions over the invitation. Wow. Look how you can miss God. He chose stuff. He chose things. He chose materialism over responding to God's invitation. He was all caught up in the things of this world. The second excuse excuse is from a man who had just invested in a business sense in some cows. And he says, I've got to go check out those cows, make sure they're healthy, and my investment was good. So this man shows business and making money over the invitation. So easy to do. I'm all caught up in doing this, that, and the other. There are people who say, you know, when I get done with business and live my life, and I've made my fortune and gotten my house and gotten my car and got my big fat 401k, and I'm ready to retire, then I'll come to Jesus. But I've rarely seen people like that ever come to Jesus. Because if you don't come when he calls you, he may never call again. You may miss him. You can miss the Lord. And these, these men, these Jewish men, they miss the Lord because of the things of this world. The third one said, I just got married. I cannot come. So this man shows family and domestic interest over the invitation. Now we note that none of these three things are bad in and of themselves. They're only bad if they keep you from the invitation. Then they're not good. Then the devil used them as roadblocks and distractions and mirages to keep you away from the feast. Heaven and all that God has for you. You missed it because you were in business and you were involved in family and you were involved in stuff and you missed the invitation. The bottom line is that these three men were flat out not interested in the invitation that the man sent the servant. Now, if I could just uh, carry this parable a little further, I believe the servant represents the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was sent to convict us of sin. And the Holy Spirit is sent out to, to knock on the door of their heart. And they turned him down, turned him down, turned him down. I got this and I can't come. I can't come. I cannot come. I can't be bothered with the invitation. I can't be bothered with God. So the man that made the dinner and sent out the invitations, God became angry. And he sends his servant out for a second invitation. He says, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city. Go immediately and bring in here those who are poor, those who have disabilities, those who are blind, and those who are limping. In other words, the down and outers. He first went to the up and outers. Now he's going to the down and outers. We note that the second group is still within the walls of the city. So Jesus is still talking to the Jewish people. But he's going from the elites to the common man. He's going from the who's who's to the not-so-much-who's-who's. Those who don't have money. Those who don't have homes. Those that don't have a place to go. Those that are hurting. Those that are poor. Those that are crippled. He's going to those. The streets and the lanes. He says, go to the streets and lanes. That means it's still happening within the city. In the walled city. So it's still the Jews. And those streets and lanes represent the daily travel routes of Jewish life. We could say, he said, go into the suburbs. Go into the suburbs of Jerusalem and invite them to my feast. But the streets and lanes also include the dangerous side roads 
and alleyways that no religious leader, especially those sitting at the table with Jesus, he know, they know what he's saying. They know he's zeroing in on them. And this second group are people these religious leaders would never get around. They would never go into their neighborhood. They would never go down where they are and talk to them about God. They would never waste their time on them. They're in the streets and the lanes, the poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind, the publicans, sinners, prostitutes, and men of violence. That's who was in the streets and the lanes because it was also the alleyways of the city. Yet Jesus tells us in this parable that these people are the ones that begin to respond to the invitation. Because we're told in the parable that after the servant has gone into the, into the highways and the streets and the roads and the lanes down where the poor people live in the rough part of the neighborhood on the other side of the tracks, and he's begun to invite them. Jesus says in the parable that they begin to respond. Isn't it funny how deceptive money and status can be? Because here's the elite sitting at the table with Jesus, and they know good and well that he has just pictured them and illustrated them in his parable. And that what he's dealing with now, these low-end Jewish people, the ones at the low side of society, they know he's talking about people they would never mess with or spend time with trying to reach. And he's telling them, they start coming in answer to the invitation, and they respond, and they end up in the feast, but you didn't. Amen. And so, so the house begins to fill up. The house begins to fill up. The, the, the poor guy says, I'll come. The lame guy says, I'll come. Uh, the crippled guy says, I'll get there one way or another. All these down and outers that don't have anything with this world's goods begin to say, well, that feast sounds good to me. So these Jewish down and outers begin to come and they begin to respond. And, 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 and the, the parable is telling us they begin to get saved. They begin to respond to the invitation to come to Jesus and be saved. Amen. Amen. You know, there's a lot of people out there in our culture right now who have a lot of money. They have a lot of status. They have reputations they protect. There's things they will never do lest they hurt their reputation. And when the invitation, because this, this parable is all about a divine invitation. Please catch that. This man that set up the feast is God. God is sending out an invitation. He's throwing a great feast, a great banquet. It is a picture of heaven. There's, there, there's a heaven, folks. I'm about to describe that heaven to you. There's a heaven out there. And, 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 and the message of the parable is that God, the maker of the feast, the one who held the feast, wants his house filled. He is not content with a half-filled heaven. He wants heaven filled. He wants heaven filled. So the servant came to the master of the feast and said, Master, what you commanded has been done. And still there is room. Everybody say that with me. Still there is room. Say it again. Still there is room. I believe that right now God is looking at all of us and at his church in America. And he's saying, guess what? There is room. Yeah, you're saved and your loved ones are saved and people you know are saved, but there is room.
I want you to catch that now. Catch that now. Still there is room. So the Jewish poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind, the sinners, the prostitutes, and men of violence had all begun to respond. This means they had been saved, which is what the invitation and feast are all about. But still the problem existed. There was room. There was room. The message for us today is before Jesus returns to earth to judge the world, the invitation to the feast of salvation, the feast that salvation brings us into is still a wide open invitation because still there is room. It makes me think of heaven. What a great big place heaven is. You know, maybe you don't know that the Bible describes the size of heaven in the book of Revelation. Did you know that? It describes heaven in the book of Revelation. Now, heaven is the new Jerusalem. The Bible says that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked for a city whose builder and maker was God, whose architect and builder was God. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place, tapas, topography we get from that Greek word, literal, tangible place. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you might be also. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the patriarchs, all the prophets, they all died in faith. Believing for what? Believing for a city whose builder and maker is God, because this earth was not their home. So when we talk about heaven, we're talking about the new Jerusalem that the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation is a city whose builder and maker is God. And that one day that new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And that is where the redeemed of the Lord are going to live and have their habitation forever and ever. There will be no need for the sun or moon for light because the glory of the light of the glory of God will exude off the face of the Lamb and it will be the light of that city. In Revelations 21, 15, let me talk to you about heaven. Let me talk to you about what, what the invitation is for, what the invitation takes us to. In Revelations 21, an angel measures the city while John watches. The angel held in his hand a golden measuring stick to measure the city and the gates and the walls. When he measured it, he found it was square as wide as it was long. It was a cube, a gigantic square. In fact, it was in the form of a cube, for its height was exactly the same as its other dimensions. 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles that way, 1,500 miles up. The measurement works out to 1,500 miles in all three dimensions. In other words, the New Jerusalem is a 1,500 cubic mile city. Still there is room. Still there is room. The city is as wide as it is long. If you were in a car driving at 55 miles an hour, it would take you 27 hours to travel 1,500 miles. If you're in a car driving 55 miles an hour, 27 hours to drive 1,500 miles without ever stopping at Love's or anywhere else. If you were walking at a steady pace of five miles an hour, just walking, a person could walk 1,500 miles in 300 hours as long as you never stop to rest. Twelve and a half days 
assuming you didn't stop to rest. So it would take you 12 and a half days of nonstop walking to go from one side of the city to another if you never stopped to rest. But remember, the city is as wide as it is long. This means that if you walk from one edge of the city to the other in 12 and a half days, it would take another 12 and a half days to walk the other direction to cross the whole city. Now, it's a bit easier to grasp the size of the city and understand the words of the servant. Still, there is room. Are y'all with me now? Still, there is room. Now, there's more. Because remember, that's just the length and the breadth of the city. What about the height? The height is 1,500 miles high. To get a grip on the height of the city. Here's the way it breaks down. Figure that one story... Like in a 10-story building, a story is about 10 feet. So if you took 1,500 miles up, the New Jerusalem would be 7,920,000 stories high. Approximately 8 million stories high. That'd be a real elevator ride. Fifteen hundred miles one way, fifteen hundred miles the other way, eight million stories high. No wonder the servant in the parable said, Still there is room. Still there is room. Now the parable is telling us that a partially filled heaven is not enough for God. I want you to understand that. A partially filled heaven is not enough for God. God wants a full house. One man writes, our God, with his burning love for souls, will never bear to contemplate a half-empty heaven. So on hearing that his house is only partially full, the master responded. What do you mean it's only partially full? Then I want you to go out into the highways, and I want you to go into the hedges and compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. Now this is where it gets good. Because now the third group, the parable is taking us outside the city to the highways and the hedges beyond the walls. Oh, and by the way, heaven's walls are 253 feet thick. So God believes in borders. That's free. So this third group is outside the city. And this is where it really gets good, because that means they were Gentiles. He's talking now about you and me. This is where we come into the parable. The highways and the hedges is pointing to a yet lower class of people, to the tramps and the squatters who had no home. We would call them the homeless. He said, go out into the highways and the hedges. The hedges were fences. And the homeless of that time would sleep under the shelter of a wall or a fence much like the homeless in our day can be found under bridges sleeping. They would sleep under the hedges, under the fences, and that's where the homeless went. And here Jesus is aiming his parable now at you and me because he knows the Jewish people are going to reject him. He knows they're going to crucify him. He knows that he came to his own and his own received him not, his own being the Jews. So he'll eventually turn to the Gentiles. That's why Paul the apostle said to the Jewish people, you refuse to receive uh, the message of the gospel. So I'm going to the Gentiles. And Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. And that means you and me. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So in the parable, 
These represent the spiritually poverty-stricken Gentile world that Paul describes in Ephesians 2.12. Here's where they were. Here's where we were. Remember, Paul says to them, that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Separate, excluded foreigners without hope and without God in the world. There can't be any sadder or more tragic picture painted of a human being than what I just read. Separate from God, excluded from citizenship in heaven, foreigners to his promises, without hope and without God in a godless world. That's the Gentiles, and that's who the last group is that the servant is sent to. These spiritually bereft Gentiles inhabited the highways and the hedges of life. And the master of the feast tells the servant, go find them. And I love this word, compel them. Everybody say compel. Compel them to come in. Now note with me, he uses that powerful word, compel, that comes from a Greek word that has an urgency to it. Now, I believe that this is really kind of pointing to the last days. Because now it's the end of time. Time is running out. The house needs to be filled. Now the master of the feast is telling the servant, I want you to go to the whole world. I want you to go with urgency. I want you to go with earnestness. I want you to go with persuasive fire. I want you to go with every atom of your being. I'm not telling you to force them to come in, but I'm asking you to compel them. Who? The Gentiles in the highways and the hedges, the druggies, the drunks, uh, the, 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 the lost, those without hope, those without God, those that do not know anything about Christ, those that are out there, if they die today, they would go straight to a devil's hell. Go to them and compel them. Be persuasive. Be compellers. Who's he telling this to? You and me. Urge them Press them, persuade them with great earnestness. Assure them that though they are spiritually poor, they're still invited to the feast. Though they may not have the right clothing, still invite them to the feast. Though they feel unworthy, let them know that we're not worthy, nobody's worthy. But the one who sent me to invite you to the feast is extending grace. And grace says you don't have to be anything, but just as you are, come to him. Come to him. Come to him. Come to the invitation. Respond to the invitation. And compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. So you know what's happening now all over the world? People are coming to Christ all over the world. All over the world, there is a great harvest. And more and more and more and more people are responding to the end time invitation to come to Jesus. Oh, folks, I don't know about you, but I look around me and I see all the signs of the times coming to pass. And I can almost hear God saying, still, Jeff, there is room. Don't get caught up in all of the angst and busyness and worries and fears of this world. But get out there, Jeff, and throw out the invitation because still there is room. And they need to be saved. They need to be filled. They need to be redeemed. And it's on us, the church of Jesus Christ, to go into the highways and hedges and find them. Now let me bring this to Christmas and I close. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about 
a great invitation. God so loved the world. This is the invitation. You know, you get an invitation card. I got quite a few to people's graduations this year and so on and so forth, virtual graduations. And it was an invitation to be somewhere at a certain time and place. And the invitation was very clear. So-and-so is graduating. And they invite you to be a part of their graduation. Come celebrate with them. The, the invitation is very clear. Well, what's the invitation? What's the invitation here? Here's what the card says. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the fact. Then he gives us the necessary response. The fact is God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Response, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The feast. The feast is everlasting life. That's the feast. That's the feast. And so, if any of you in here today have not responded to the invitation, I encourage you to do so. Last week, we had several people come in response to the invitation. But the invitation is going out to the whole world. Now, why with the word compel? Because he is near, right at the door. See, the day is going to come when the invitation is going to be withdrawn. Are you with me? The day is going to come when the invitation is going to be withdrawn because we're under right now what's called the age of grace. And that means grace is being extended. God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever, I don't care what your name is, you're a whosoever, believes on him, would not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, all right? So the invitation is going out, and it's to whosoever, whosoever believes on him, won't perish but have everlasting life. Because I believe the day is going to come, Scripture says it is, when the invitation is withdrawn. It says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. When you get that invitation card, you make that call and you are SVP. Because the age of grace will be withdrawn one day. Then it will be eternally too late. I want you to stand with me, would you? When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in that manger, which was a feeding trough, the invitation had begun. Come unto me, Jesus said. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. I'm not going to make it hard on you. And my burden is light. I'm not heavy. Sin is heavy. Life without God is tough. The very last chapter in the very last book of the Bible is an invitation. Whosoever will, let him come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And that's how the last book of the Bible ends. A divine invitation to the feast. Amen? So let's bow together. If you're thankful that Jesus reached you, a Gentile, or a Jew, 
Lift your hands and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for finding me in the highways and the hedges, in the streets and the lanes and the alleyways. Thank you for finding me, Lord. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for sending the servant, the Holy Spirit, to convict me and draw me and invite me and woo me to the feast. Amen. And Lord, we pray with our hands raised that you would help us in these closing hours of the last of the last days, that we would go and we would find people in the highways and hedges, streets and lanes and alleyways and compel them, invite them, persuade them to come in. Now I'm going to pray a prayer and with your heads bowed. And you say, Jeff, I'm not sure I've accepted that invitation card. I don't know that I've RSVP'd by placing my faith in Christ. And I want to do it today while I can. Today while the invitation is offered right now in this house, I want to do it. If that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I want you to pray it with me. You can do it, because we're just going to go to Jesus now, who, who is the master of that feast, the one who's going to literally serve us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus. You can do it. Lord Jesus, I hear the invitation. And I place my faith in you as my Savior and Lord. I come to you today as my Redeemer. Forgive me, Jesus, of all my sin. And come into my heart, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. In your name, I pray, guide me all the days of my life. Amen.